The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Gobby and welcome to What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. If you're new here, I'm Gobby. I'm the founder of What's Gobby Cooking, a best-selling author and now a podcast host. What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild is the latest version of my podcast and it's your one-stop shop for all your food, drink, cooking-related questions. We're talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry, and so much more. I'm also interviewing incredible people in the food world and highlighting super cool small companies. So let's get right into it. First up, we've got questions. Then we've got an interview. Get ready. All right, guys, we are back for another hot fire round of questions that you guys had when you called in. So let's get right into it. Hi, Gabby. It's Haley calling from West Virginia. I have a question about grilling desserts. So my oven is out of commission. And while I'm waiting for my new oven to arrive, no baking at all. So um, I'm wondering what kind of desserts I can make using my grill. Um, Plus, it's nice to be outside with summertime and with people coming over. So I'm excited to hear from you. And thanks for all your suggestions. Hi, Haley. Grilling desserts and not having an oven are two things I can speak very confidently about because our oven sucks until <laughs> we get a new one. Okay. So I love grilling peaches, apricots, nectarines, anything like that on the grill. You can just like rub a little bit of a non-flavorful oil on them, grapeseed oil, vegetable oil, something of the sort. Grill them until you get grill marks and then drizzle them with honey and sea salt, add some ice cream, just serve them as is. It's incredible. I also love grilled pineapple. Back in the day, we used to slice a banana down the center and stuff it with like mini marshmallows and chocolate chips, wrap it in tinfoil and throw that on the grill. And it's kind of like a chocolate marshmallow banana surprise. I actually think there's a recipe on my website for it from a hundred years ago. Don't judge the photo, but it's also amazing. Obviously, s'mores, just roast some marshmallows over a fire outside. And then the last thing I would say is you could do like a grilled pizza. Like we've done grilled pizza on IGTV many a time so you can see how to grill the dough, but then you could like slather it with Nutella or jam or something like that. Fruit, those are all delicious options. Um, one other thing I will say about grilling desserts, if you have a grill that you can maintain your temperature of, like if it's like ours, we can just like adjust the heat. So I know it's going to always be at 350. You can actually bake on the grill. So like you could throw brownies on there. I would just put a pizza stone in between the grates and what you're putting on, on there, just so you don't have too much heat, but it's definitely possible. Hey, Gabby, it's Brittany from California, Sherman Oaks, California. Question for you. Can you please explain the differences between baking or cooking in like a nonstick versus a glass versus like one of those like aluminum ones or even those like copper ones. Like what's the difference? What should I be using equipment wise to bake? I know you mentioned in one of your podcasts, like brownies should not be baked in like a Pyrex. They deserve more of like the nonstick or an aluminum. But why is that? What's the science? Let's bring in scientists, Gabby, and help because I have witnessed so many of my recipes just go straight to the trash because I think I'm using them in the wrong equipment. Okay. Thank you so much. Love you. I really hope you answer this question because it's something that I have been struggling with for a long time. I hope you're staying safe and I love listening to the podcast. Keep it up. Alrighty. Bye. 
Hi, Brittany. Yes, 1000%. Let's get into it. This is such an important question and something we should all talk about. Okay. So there are three types of pans. It's glass, stoneware, and metal. I would say 99% of the time, I will always default to metal because it is the best conductor of heat. And it's when you're baking, it's all about the heat transfer. So you know, when you put brownies in the oven, when you put cookies in the oven and then the batter or the dough starts to bake and it heats up, that's when all the magic happens. It's when the leaveners are activated. It's when things rise. It's how they get their finished form. It's how your kitchen smells like, you know, a bakery. Those are very important. So the ideal vessel for baking is a light colored pan that's made from um, from metal. Like that's going to be the most efficient heat conductor. And if it's too dark, it can get too hot. So that's why I go with the light ones. I actually have the gold touch um, line from Williams-Sonoma, which is amazing and also nonstick. So that's what I will say about metal. As far as glass pans go, I know we all have them. It's all my mother had growing up. I think like it was a huge thing. I love a Pyrex and I will bake in it when I'm doing savory things like a lasagna or a pasta bake or something like that. They just, the flow of heat from glass to the batter is not great. The glass retain heats far longer than metal will. I think things bake differently. It often takes longer. It's also easier to overbake brownies or cakes in a glass pan because it takes longer for the center to cook. And by the time the center finishes cooking, then the glass is acting as like, just like a mega heat whatever you want to call it. And the outer edges of your brownies or your cakes are getting tall and too hard and overcooked. So I don't love glass for baking. I know people like it because it doesn't corrode from the acid and a different, in different baked goods. It's not my favorite stoneware. I haven't done a lot of experimentation with stoneware. I don't have it. It's just typically a little heavier. I do bake some savory things in my Le Creuset and stuff like that. But for the most part, I think what you're talking about is desserts. And so I would invest in like two great cookie sheets, one nine by nine baking dish, and then like a nine by 13 and then a loaf pan. Honestly, no one's paying me to say this. The gold touch sheet pans from Williams Sonoma are amazing. I also have some from Crane Barrel that are also amazing. They have like everything that's really great, in my opinion, is like ribbed on the bottom. And that way it's nonstick so that a little bit of air can get underneath things. So I would say invest in that. It's going to change the game of all your desserts. And I think you'll be happy. Hi, Gabby. This is Jillian from Philadelphia. And I was curious when to use the rind of the lemon or the zest and when to use the juice, most specifically in sauces, but really for anything. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Jillian. Great question. And there's no real right answer to this. Here are some things I will say. When you are zesting, you always want to wash and dry the fruit really well before you whip out the zester. Like make sure it's totally dry. Otherwise, it's going to be a pain in the ass to zest. You always want to zest it first before juicing it. Don't even try it otherwise. (laughs) And then just zest a little bit off the top. Once you get to the white pith, it's over. So you just want to get the colorful part of lemon, orange, lime, whatever it is you're doing. Lemon zest, in my opinion, is just, it's a little bit more pungent and a little bit more flavorful. So it's really going to pack a punch as opposed to just a little bit of lemon juice. But honestly, you can put it in everything. You can put lime zest and lemon zest in guacamole. You can put it in pasta. You can add it to baked goods. You can add it to like a sauce that you're going to drizzle on your steak or your chicken. You could put a zest into your vinaigrette. Toss your already toasted breadcrumbs with some zest. It's incredible. Add it to an aioli. You could use it to brine a chicken. It's really, you could use it on like to make like a seasoning 
mixture or something to put it on a chicken or something before you're doing a rotisserie or barbecue chicken. It's so good. It's so flavorful. It doesn't get enough love. So I would say just start incorporating it anytime a recipe calls for lemon juice, lime juice, orange juice, put like a little bit of zest in there and just experiment with the flavors. I do not think you'll be disappointed. It's going to be delish. Hi, Gabby. This is Wanda. I'm calling from Florida. I absolutely love and adore you. And I love all of your recipes and especially your latest cookbook. It has been God sent during this quarantine. I've been cooking from it and feeding my family amazing food. I start nursing school in the fall and I want to get prepared early on and have some meals in the freezer. If you have any tips or any recipes that are freezer friendly, I would absolutely love them. Thank you for this podcast. I love listening to you when I'm driving and I hope to hear your answer on the podcast soon. Thank you. Hi, Wanda. Thank you for calling in. Great question. We get this a lot. I actually made a blog post about 18 freezer-friendly meals on What's Gobby Cooking. I will link it in the show notes. We should actually probably expand on it and make it like 118 freezer-friendly meals because I feel like it's going to be so helpful, especially if everyone is basically still quarantining and homeschooling come the fall. We're going to need some tips and tricks and you know, we're going to need, if you're a parent at home with a kid in school, you're going to need some shortcuts. So here's the deal. I'm going to run through a couple recipes that are my favorite to keep stocked in the freezer. These are things that I make, freeze half of, eat the rest of, or I freeze, take to a friend's house. I've had so many friends recently that have had children, so I just like to drop off freezer meals for them because we know they're not cooking. Chicken parm meatballs from my blog are incredible. You can make them in their entirety and then freeze them in the red sauce, and they're very easy to thaw. Any sort of baked dish like a Southwestern lasagna or an actual lasagna, something that's layered into a skillet bakes really nicely. I know we just said we don't typically baked desserts in glass pans, but you could do that in like a Pyrex or something like that. So you can drop that off at your friend's house rather than your Le Creuset or cast iron skillet or something like that. So like I said, any sort of layered lasagna-y type of things. There's a ton in the blog post. Vodka sauce freezes really nicely. So I'll make a big batch of vodka sauce or any sort of bowl freeze a bunch of that, take it out the night before, leave it in the fridge, let it come to room temperature and just heat it on the stove before I'm using it. The black bean sweet potato chili. Oh, it's the best. It's so good. Another thing I would consider doing besides the chili are soups. Any kind of soups freeze really nicely and they're just so easy to thaw and warm up and serve with like some homemade garlic bread. Turkey burgers are another great thing. Breakfast burritos. I mean, there's so many. I think the key to having things, well, A, there's a lot of cheese. <laughs> there's a lot of cheese in my frozen goods. But things that have a sauce, things that aren't going to dry out, and things that are pretty easy to thaw. When you look at this blog post, it gives you ideas on how to thaw everything as well. So you should be good to go. All right, guys, I am so excited to introduce you to our next guest. She is one of my very dear friends. Her name is Isabel English. We call her Belle for short. She is the like she's just a queen bee. She runs the test kitchen at Williams Sonoma. She knows everything there is to know about food. If I could pick one person to cook a dinner party with, it would be her. I just love her on so many levels. You guys are going to be obsessed. She's one of the most creative people I've ever met in my entire life. Please put your hands together for Belle. Hi, Isabel English. <laughs> Hi, How are you? Gabby Dalkin. I'm amazing. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm looking at you and you're sitting with Tahoe as your backdrop, social distancing outside, and I'm insanely <laughs> jealous. I cannot complain. My remote test kitchen has been amazing. 
It's yeah, so beautiful. you're going to get into all the test kitchens. All the test I have kitchen. so many questions. Everyone else has so many questions. I want to start like at the beginning okay. because you come from like a culinary family. And so I want you to tell us how you got started in the food world. How old were you when you started cooking? Like give us the backstory. Give you all the nitty gritty. Okay. I'll try to condense it. <laughs> um, so I was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. My parents are both chefs. So they actually met at the CIA, which is adorable and are the most talented human beings I know on the face of this planet. So lucky to be raised by such like creative culinary focused people because they've totally shaped who I am as a cook and as a baker and as a creator. I grew up in their restaurants quite literally. So their first restaurant, Olives, um, was in Boston. They call it their first baby and probably their favorite (laughs) child. (laughs) And I... Yeah, quite literally grew up like on that kitchen counter, on that banquet, was in the restaurant all day, every day with my parents. So it was just literally around it always. And I really, I think was subconsciously so inspired and just knew that food was in my future in one way or another. I wasn't sure how or where or why, but I knew that I was going to be in food forever. Then I went to NYU for my undergraduate degree. Um, I studied in the Gallatin School for Individualized Study, where I got to create my own concentration, essentially my own That's major. Cool. Yeah. I didn't know that about I you. know. So <laughs> it's funny because when I was creating my own major, which was called Understanding Beauty Through Art and Food. Ooh. So it was a combination of food studies and visual art and the human experience of beauty and delight. It's like so many, so many things. Essentially, it's the experience of beauty through art, so visual, and through food, which is all the senses, as you know. So when I was doing it, I was like, what is this going to turn into career-wise? Hmm, hope this one works out. And it's funny because it's exactly what I do now for William Sonoma <laughs> is create beautiful, delicious things. So yeah, that was an amazing experience. I love living in New York. Um, again, like Boston, such a great food city for Boston reasons. New York is such an amazing food city for New York reasons. And then after school, I went to, I got the internship at America's Test Kitchen, which was amazing because I was kind of thrown into this environment that was very scientific focused when it comes to food, all about recipe development, really slowing down in the kitchen. You know, I was used to the hustle and bustle of restaurants because I had worked literally every position besides bartender because I think I would be a really bad bartender. So I didn't even try I'm a good personal bartender for myself, but a bad bartender, I spill everything. I'm not good at it. Um, So I, you know, was used to like hustle and bustle of the restaurants, which I loved. And I did catering too. So when I was thrown into this environment where I really had to like slow down and measure salt and know exactly how long it took for the butter to melt, it was a really like enlightening experience. I was like, oh, this is how I really connect to food. It like kind of combines both sides of my brain where I have to be creative, but I also have to be really tactical and really think about what I'm doing. So I really connected with it. And then I got the amazing opportunity to come visit the Williams Sonoma Test Kitchen and was literally offered a job the day I was there to visit. (laughs) Um, So it was very serendipitous and have been here for four years. I was four years in June, which is crazy. It's flown by. Happy anniversary. Thank you. I feel like the first time I came up there, you were there, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. When did you, it must have been. I'm like, when did we, 
When was our love at first sight, Gabby? <laughs> I don't think I've ever known William Sonoma without you. Like oh you're God. such an integral part of it now. <laughs> and we'll so get in, We'll get into that all. So like you did not go to a traditional culinary school though, correct? I did not. I always say I was homeschooled. Yeah, <laughs> with like the best teachers in the world. <laughs> I, yeah, I truly got the most amazing education. And it's funny because I always ask my dad, I'm like, did you like, when did you teach me all this? He's like, I never really taught you. You were just always watching. Right. And he said he would just like, it would be Thanksgiving. And I would just be in the kitchen, just like watching my parents do their thing. So I really absorbed it from a really young age. And I'm lucky I have a very intuitive sense with food and in the kitchen again because I was just raised like in it I had no choice <laughs> but yeah no I did not go to culinary it's it is literally in your blood and for everybody it is and for everybody listening who's always asking like do you have to go to culinary school the answer is no yeah like you, you no. Can, there are many ways to get into the culinary world whether it's homeschool with mom and dad working in restaurants exactly. going to school whatever it is do you guys, Absolutely. when you're hiring your team for the Williams-Sonoma mm-hmm. Test Kitchen, do you look for people who have had some sort of training regardless of where it is? Culinary training. It's funny. They used to. And then I was kind of an oddball that I didn't have any culinary training. I completely agree with you. I have like a very holistic idea of like what you need to, what you need to be a professional in this field. I think having the passion and like having the skill set and... I think a lot of the time I have so much respect for culinary school, but, and you kind of need to like know the rules to break them, you know, that classic saying. Um, So, but I just think there's so many ways you can learn that. And if you're thrown into a restaurant kitchen, that's an invaluable education. If you like a more structured, like go to school situation, I think that's amazing too. So I I agree with you. I think there are just so many ways to learn. There are so many ways to skin a cat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so many ways. <laughs> okay, so pre-COVID, tell us what it was like to run the Williams Sonoma Test Kitchen. What is a day like? I I know what your days look like, and I know I'm excited for your answer, but I want you to tell yeah. everyone what a day to day looks like. Is it the same Monday yeah. through Friday? Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> so people ask me this question a lot because it is a unique, very unique role, and I always answer. My first answer is I love my job so much because no two days are the same. Right. I have never had a similar day, which is crazy, but it's so fun. And it's what keeps me so like motivated. And I kind of just need that. My brain, that's how my brain works. I cannot do the mundane. I like need a lot of simulation. So it's great. And I'm always working on different projects. That said, there are, of course, all the things we have to do and all the things that the test kitchen is responsible for. Right. So a big, if we kind of split it into like, let's say four categories. So we do all the recipe development. So anytime you open a Williams-Sonoma catalog or go online and you see all the beautiful food, all those recipes are developed in our test kitchen. We also do all the development of our food products in-house. So our cake mixes and braising sauces and spice rubs and the Gobby Dolphin collection. <laughs> um, we all develop in our test kitchen. So it will start from scratch recipe most of the time, whether it's from a collaborator like yourself or if I just kind of come up with it for a certain season or uh, cookware or something like that. So it usually always starts with a scratch recipe. And then we work as a team with vendors to kind of figure out how are we going to put this in the jar? What are the right ratios of, I'll use your, one of your rubs. Let's do the everything. You know, what's the right ratio of sesame seed to poppy seeds to flake salt to really like nail it and get it, get it down and make it easy for the customer to use and understand and make it unique. But high end, you know, there are all these different things that go into it. So that's a really interesting process. Um, and then we write cookbooks as well. So 
either they are single subjects. So we've done, you know, baking and pies, um, cookies, all these different single subject books. And then we also do a lot of cookbooks to help support our electrics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, William Soma, we have so many amazing electrics and whether it's the Instant Pot or you know, the, a pizza oven or... Is there a pizza oven cookbook? We've done so many. An air fryer. Yeah, we have a whole pizza cookbook. Godly. I'm and it, <laughs> so upset. I don't know. Oh, I will send you one <laughs> immediately after this. I'm like trying to recall. We have so many. We do, you know, indoor grilling. So all these like single subject books and they're little and they're very giftable, but we do all of those. They come right from um, the test kitchen. We do a lot of, you know, out of the kitchen events as well to help support our marketing and PR team. So my favorite weekend, our probably favorite weekend of the year is Balderoff. Yes. Where William Sinema, you know, sponsors the culinary stage. And I'm lucky enough to run the test kitchen in the back and support, you know, all the culinary efforts there and help with a lot of food festivals, music festivals, all those different things too. So it's a very dynamic role. You know, I'm always juggling a million things at once. I'm always, you know cooking a turkey or, you know, in the middle of February. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> it's funny now. So it's always Thanksgiving in July. Yeah. So I just, I've already carved three turkeys and it's been, it's only what July 7th. I'm like, oh gosh, it's going to be a long month. Um, but no, it's amazing that, you know, I get to do so many different things, interact with so many different people, so many different chefs. And, you know, we all share this like same passion for food and product and it's amazing. And food, I feel like I feel like when you like to eat and you like to cook and you like to feed people, it like inherently makes you a happy, good person. Oh, a hundred percent. You're not starving. And then everyone around you. Exactly. Yeah. There's no hanger in the Williams <laughs> kitchen. Or honestly anywhere in my life. Uh, I mean, I think that's why I won't speak for you, but why we do what we do is food, it's like comes down to a very simple thing that food makes people happy. Yep. And it makes people want to celebrate life and um, celebrate each other and share. And it's all about community and just like having a good time. And I don't know. I think it's a very powerful tool. I do too. And, very powerful and I tool can't life. wait for you to have your own cookbook one day because I'll be the first person to buy it. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Thanks, God. Me too. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about recipe development and all of that world, because on What's Gotta Be Cooking, we develop recipes mm -hmm. and we test them anywhere from like three to six times, depending on how complicated mm -hmm. it is. But I know you have so many more things to think about from the electrics you're using to the, uh, to the mm -hmm. things going in jars and bottles and all these things. How many times roughly yeah. do you guys run through a recipe before? Do testing. Yeah. So I think as for actual testing, kind of what you said depends on how complicated the recipe is. You know, sometimes I can nail it one or two tries. Sometimes it's a lot trickier if it's more of a technical recipe. If it's a new electric that, you know, I am not used to necessarily, I have to kind of try it out. So we have tested from a scratch recipe perspective, it can be anywhere between two to five or six times. Um, when it comes to our food products, so again, the jarred sauces and cake mixes and spice rubs, those always get a little more complicated because there are so many factors that are going into them. You know, How are we making it shelf-stable? What ingredients can we use? What is the exact flavor profile that we're trying to obtain? So there have been times where we have tested 10, 12, 15 times. Oh my god! And it's interesting because I know. It's interesting. I'll use a cocktail mix, for example, because to get like, fresh lime into a shelf stable product is nearly impossible. Yep. 
And then there are other, you know, more intricate ingredients like truffles really hard, mm-hmm. right? How do we make it, you know, taste the best and the freshest? Grapefruit's really hard. So as I've kind of worked with all these different flavors in the, you know, food product side of things, you kind of learn, they're like, oh, I guess we're, we should probably steer away from, you know, infusing thyme into anything because dried thyme just doesn't translate the same. So there are all these different flavors that we've worked with a lot and kind of learned how to work around or work towards just depending on what the product is. It's a whole nother world developing for shelf stable product. A whole nother world. Yeah. You know, like when we were working on our cocktail mixes with you, you know, getting that fresh fruit flavor that we wanted and that we needed takes a couple rounds and we always get there. And, you know, we really pride ourselves on having super clean ingredient decks. You know, we don't want any crap in there. We want to feed people the best that we can. So that adds another layer of, you know, there are a lot of things out there that make, you know, different products shelf stable or increase the shelf life, but we're not going to use any of those ingredients. We are staying super clean. So presents another set of challenges, but... It's also interesting because when you do, when you are developing something at such a high standard and not using all the crap that goes into products, like that, Mm -hmm. when you really break it down and think about it, it justifies why you're not paying $2 for a spice rub and instead it's $10 because... It 100% sets us apart from any competitors out there because people know and they trust that what is the ingredients that go into our product, even the processes um, that go into our products are as clean, as clean as possible. Yeah. Um, And we don't allow anything, you know, below that high, high standard. So left turn, we're going into your left turn Instagram. So Belle's (laughs) Belle's Instagram is Belle underscore English. And it is one of my favorite accounts to follow (laughs) because like, and I I didn't know this probably came from your college training, but like, it's so aesthetically pleasing. And the way you do your Insta stories and your filtering is just like, it's every time you post or William Snowbub reposts your stories, I'm like, oh, yeah. this is a bell. Like, it's so good. <laughs> oh my God. That is the, that is like the highest compliment. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's so good. So tell us like a hot tip or two. Like, what do you look for when you're shooting? Especially now, like you guys oh, have yeah. been shooting everything at home, all the content since quarantine. Yeah. So like, what do you like? What are, what's like one or two tips or tricks for shooting your food that you always yeah. follow? Oh, that's a great question. I know it's funny. So I have always been very aesthetically driven. I always say, you know, I was an artist way before I was a chef. I've always had like a very innate and strong appreciation for color first off. (laughs) And then, you know, composition was really important to me as well. And I think all of those play in tremendously when talking about food photography. And now with Instagram, it's like a kid in a candy shop. Like it's so fun for me to kind of just play with all the filters and editing photos and the different fonts and all these different things. So my two biggest tips for food photography, one is lighting. I think it's really important. My favorite is natural lighting on a overcast day to be specific. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Luckily I live in San Francisco, so I get that a lot. You're fine. (laughs) Um, But so if you're not in a studio, I just say, you know, go near a window and it will make your food look 95% 95% better, I promise. The other thing, again, composition, I think there's so many different styles and people do their own thing. So I always play around with it. But I think, you know, I don't like to over style food. Um, I was working as a food stylist for a while. So I, same thing, you kind of have to 
know the rules to break them. There are no rules, technically, <laughs> um, if you ask me. But, you know, to play around with it and, you know, don't overstyle and just kind of make it as natural as possible. I think if it, it can look a little stuffy. So I just like to, you know, just throw a handful of flakes all over something and how it keep lands, it how it lands. Keep it messy, yeah. And keep it fun and just don't think too much about it. Anytime I think too much about whether it's a recipe or if it's a piece of art or you know, anything you can, you can kind of, at least I get in my head about things and then you can't really see it clearly. So I'm just, I'm all about just doing it, keeping it natural. Don't overthink it. And it usually works out better than if I'm, you know, too in the zone about something and get stressed out. (laughs) Your best friend who you've never actually met before was on the podcast last week, Matt. And he said, he said something that (laughs) really stuck with me. He's like, there's, there's a beauty in letting go and just letting what happens happens in terms of photography and styling and shooting. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just one of the 1000 reasons you guys would get along so well, but I I feel like it's, you know, for creative people, it's helpful to do that. It's so helpful. And I think, I mean, you can totally see that in Matt's photography too, that, you know, it's like, and for me too, if a weird shadow somehow ends up in the picture, instead of like freaking out about that shadow, I'm like, let me work with it. And it will usually work out and be like amazing. And I could have never like done that if I tried. Right. You know, so a lot of times if I spill something when I'm like bringing it to my surface to photograph it, I'm like, oh, that mess. There's beauty in the mess and there's beauty in, you know, the naturalness of food and right. you know yeah I think it can it can be overthought a lot and I think it's like s- such a beautiful thing beauty in the mess well if you guys aren't following Belle up until the, like <laughs> if you haven't followed her in the last 20 minutes start I'll I'll put her Instagram again at the end <laughs> thanks guys thanks guys I know it's funny again with my college major where I was like oh god I'm gonna graduate and never have a job because like what did I just do with my last four years again totally comes into play so I'm like myself a little high five. Everything happens but for a reason. Everything. Exactly. Beauty in the mess, people. Beauty in the mess. Okay. So I like to end every interview with, yes. with a series of very important, hard-hitting political questions. Oh, I can't wait. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh my gosh. First, a police officer. Weird. <laughs> then an artist. <laughs> then a chef. I still, that's why I like crime shows so much. I still kind of want to be a police Um, No, I would say in third grade, I wanted to be an artist. Makes sense. You were just, you were on, on career day. Way ahead of yeah. your time. You were a smart kid. Exactly. What is your exactly. least favorite food? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Probably green bell peppers. Ugh, word, disgusting. <laughs> emoji that best describes you or your most used um, emoji. My most used emoji. Oh my God, that's such a good question. Matt said the eggplant. <laughs> I know. I was going to say that. I'm looking right now. Hold okay. on. Please 100% the fire emoji. Oh, yeah. I don't even know why I had to think about that. You are hot fire. It'll, it only makes fire. sense. Hot fire. Hot fire. <laughs> okay. If, you, if COVID didn't exist and you could pick up tomorrow, yes. we'd meet at SFO. Where would be the top desti- oh destination on your bucket list? We'd go with all the girls. Bali. Oh, okay. Pack your bags. <laughs> <laughs> You're hanging out at home on a weeknight. What's your go-to yeah. weeknight meal? I always make myself, well, I try to cook very healthy for myself when I'm at home since, you know, I eat everything and then some at work. <laughs> so I just do a good piece of roasted salmon mm. and whatever veg, you know, tickles my fancy that day. 
I also eat so many sweet potatoes. It's kind of alarming, but I'm obsessed. Like sweet, you like you eat them by choice. I eat them by choice. I love. So does well, Thomas. We we have twelve dozen on hand at all times. It's just at all times. You can do. <laughs> I mean, they're so versatile. They are. Potato is my favorite food group Easily. ever. So sweet, sweet potatoes. Okay. Just, Here's the it. question: A regular fry or a curly fry? Regular. I agree with you. Um, <laughs> I mean, nothing against curly fries, but regular. But like curly fries aren't as crispy as we all want them. To no, be. you can't because they're the curl is too tight that it will steam. It doesn't fry. Yeah. If we're speaking technically. <laughs> we're getting scientific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Favorite ice cream flavor. <laughs> Controversial, but mint chocolate chip. Oh. I know. Okay. 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 <laughs> if you were one of the housewives on Bravo, who would you be? Oh my gosh. <laughs> who do you think I would be? I don't know. Oh, I do have my housewife's tagline though. It's, I hate drama, but I love to stir the pot. <laughs> <laughs> Someone, a dinner party I was catering once a long time ago called me in. I thought something was wrong. I was like, oh God, this thing's like overcooked, something terrible. And they're like, no, we have your tagline for you. I'm like, oh, I love you people. <laughs> yeah, on brand. I feel like Kendall, our mutual, very dear friend, Kendall is the queen of mm-hmm. housewives taglines. She's got them oh, all she, is. She, she has one for everyone. <laughs> so funny. Okay, a couple more. Taylor Swift or Beyonce? Oh my God, that is a terrible question, Gabby. <laughs> I know. Beyonce. Favorite song to lip sync to? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, okay, now I'm going to choose Taylor Swift. <laughs> recently paper rings oh, also that best. song always reminds me of you the best song ever <laughs> i love that song um okay last question mm-hmm. if we are at a restaurant favorite restaurant in the entire world would you rather order another pasta dish pizza dish or a dessert oh i'm such a dessert girl such a dessert i'm girl. surprised i am like a one of each Okay. I'm like, when everyone's like, you know, I don't want to see the dessert menu. I'm like, I came to dinner with the wrong people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a hundred percent all the desserts. That's why we're such good friends. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'll eat all the food. Exactly. I started in the kitchen with pastry, which a lot of people don't know. They think I'm like more of a savory, but my first kitchen experiences were all pastries. I have such a soft spot in my heart for dessert and sugar just in general. <laughs> I know. I feel like that's easy to yeah. see because your desserts, when you post them are <laughs> truly works of oh, art. Thanks, like they are stunning, award-winning, billboard worthy. <laughs> They're beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Everyone listening, thank you. go follow Belle. Her Instagram is bell underscore English. You will not be disappointed <laughs> and you will be hungry. Thanks God. <laughs> you will guaranteed. All right, guys. One of my favorite parts of the podcast, we are highlighting a super cool small company. I have recently become even more my father's daughter than I've ever anticipated. And I'm on the jam train hard. I think it started a couple weeks ago. Someone brought me some jam from a local market and I ate it with a spoon. (laughs) So then I took it upon myself to do some research and order all the other jams. So there's this new company. Well, it's not actually new, but it's new to me. It's called Trade Street Jam Co. It's founded in Brooklyn. It is not your average jam and it is 
divine. They've got all the, it's like not your average flavors either. They've got strawberry chipotle fig jam, smoked peach jam, blueberry lemon basil jam, plum and rose jam, sour cherry ginger jam. Like you name it, they've got it. The woman who owns it is a baller. I'm obsessed with her. So check them out. They've had an influx of orders recently. So it might take a little bit for your order to be delivered, but fear not. It is 1000% worth it. Their website is trade street st jamco.com. So T-R-A-D-S-T jamco.com. You will not be disappointed. All right, guys, that's it for today's What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild podcast. Be sure to tune in every Monday for the foreseeable future for a new episode and a new guest and tons of questions and answers. If you have any questions that you want answered, just give me a call 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you have a small company that deserves some love, please let me know on the voicemail. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along on What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatsgobbycooking.com. I'll see you guys next Monday.